All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning. My name is Todd. We will be in Matthew chapter 7 today as we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. As you turn there, let me ask you a question. Do you discriminate? Do you discriminate? <clears throat> Some of you are probably like, I hope not. <laughs> like, like, isn't that illegal? Am I allowed to do that? I don't think, that, I don't think that's even illegal. Am I, I don't think I'm supposed to do that. Discriminate is defined as recognizing a distinction or making a differentiation. The word discriminate means to make distinctions between things or make differentiations between different things. Do you discriminate? I hope so. I hope you do. But because the word, because it can be done wrongly or unfairly or unjustly, we have come to think of the word almost universally as a negative thing. We, we associate discrimination with doing it wrongly. We hear it and we think discrimination is bad because to discriminate is to do it poorly, is to do it wrongly in the wrong direction. In other words, we have discriminated against discrimination. We have decided all discrimination is bad. And I don't care what you say, I'm pigeonholing you, discrimination, you're bad. We have discriminated against it. But discrimination is inescapable. It is woven into the world God made. We must make distinctions between things. We must differentiate between different things. It's part of the world that we live in, and it is, in fact, the way God made the world, not just built into it, but the actual mechanism by which he made the world itself. There was God and only God. And then he decided to make not God, which was all the other stuff. There was water, and then God made not water. We call it land. There was man, and then he made not man, which we call Eve. God made the world with distinctions built in, and the way that he actually made the world was by creating distinctions between the heavens and the earth, light and dark, day and night. God likes distinctions. But because it can be done unfairly, it can be done Fairly or unfairly, objectively or subjectively, honestly, dishonestly, consistently, inconsistently. But there will be discrimination. It's just what kind will there be? We pray and hope for the good kind, the right kind, the fair kind, the honest, objective kind. This is not a unique or new problem to us. This has been going on for a long time. Look at what it says in Isaiah 5, 20 through 21, what Isaiah wrote to his people a long time ago, long before Jesus came to the earth. God said through his prophet, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe is not a word we use often anymore. Uh, it, it means cursed. Like a curse be on the person who does these things. A, a curse be on the one who rejects God's distinctions in favor of their own who says, I don't like the way you made the world, God, so I'm going to remake it in my own image according to my preferences. I don't like the distinctions you made, so I'm going to invent new ones. Because again, it's not a question of if there will be distinctions, it's what kind will there be? Who will decide and by what standard will they be enforced? That's what we're talking about today. And it's important, according to what Isaiah says, that we maintain the distinctions God made. Evil is not good. Good is not evil. 
and they are defined by what God says is evil and what God says is good. So woe to those who blur it all together. Woe to those who don't even recognize the distinction. But woe to those who call the wrong thing by the wrong thing. Say, I want to be a good guy, but I want to do bad things, so I'm going to call bad things good. See, I'm a good guy. Woe to the person who does that kind of thing. Why bring that up? (laughs) Why bring this up as we dive into Matthew 7? Well, because we're about to look at what I believe to be the most popular Bible verse in the entire world. There is no more popular verse than the one we're about to read. It's more popular than John 3.16. It's so popular that even unbelievers have it memorized. It's part of their catechism. They know it by heart, and they love quoting it. Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Have you heard that before? Right? Like, Jesus said it. It's right there. We're not going to deny it. Like, it's right there. But why is that everyone's favorite verse? Because Jesus said, I can do whatever I want. Leave me alone. Judge not. Let me just do my own thing. What's, what's it to you? Get off my back. Judge not. So this is the most popular verse in the world because judging is perceived the same way that discrimination is. It's bad. Don't do it. So when people feel judged, they say, Jesus said don't do that, I feel like, right? And so they tuck this one away and they save it for when they feel like you're telling them that their life doesn't line up with what God says. But is Jesus here saying... All judging is bad. Some of you get it. (laughs) She gets it. If he is, that's a weird way to say it. Sounds kind of (laughs) judgy. Are you saying that if I judge things, you're going to judge me? Because that sounds judgy. (laughs) Don't judge or I will judge you for it. (laughs) Which one is it, man? (laughs) I don't understand what's happening here. It's like I heard somebody say once, like, I'm against picketing, but I don't know how to show it. What, do I show up with a big sign? Stop picketing now! Stop picketing! I don't like this! (laughs) I don't know. Is is that what Jesus is saying? Don't judge, or I'll judge you. We assume he is because we think the word judge is a bad thing, just like we think discernment is a bad thing. Because it can be done poorly, we just assume judge is bad. So when we say don't judge me, what we mean is don't judge me guilty. Because that's clearly the only thing, the only reason why you would judge me is to condemn me. You would never set me free. You would never grant me clemency, so you're clearly just judging me guilty. But we forget that judges say things like not guilty. If the the only job that a judge had would be to sit in a black robe and say guilty, a computer could do that. You don't need a human being to make judgments if it was always just guilty. Sometimes it's innocent, not guilty. And we also forget that judges award blue ribbons. They don't just disqualify people. Sometimes they give blue ribbons. You've been to a county fair? Or state fair, remember those? Remember when people used to get together outside and like do stuff, like buy food they didn't need and look at animals that were way bigger than they should be? Stuff like that? Well, some of those, some of those fairs had people that had pies that ladies had slaved over and they wanted somebody to judge them. Which one's best? I want a blue ribbon. You need judges to do that. Or the Olympics, remember those? Imagine like if, if people took this literally, like if Christians were like, we need to apply what Jesus says about not judging. So the gymnastic guy spends four years of his life doing one thing, and then he gets to his moment, and he gets on the pommel horse and does his pommel horse thing, and he gets done, and it's like the Korean judge says, uh, you know, eight, the German judge says nine, and then the Christian judge is like, nope, I don't judge things. Sorry. It's like, I gave four years of my life for this. Like, too bad, man. We don't judge around here. <laughs> I think his judge sign, instead of an eight or a nine, he always just has that emoji of the guy doing the X things. Like, no, I don't do that. 
because judging is bad. No, judging can be helpful. It can be good. It's, it's not a matter of if there will be judgments. It's what kind. You hope those judges are judging fairly. And aren't, you hope the German judge isn't giving higher scores to the German people. You hope that he's not punishing countries that he doesn't like. You hope he's a fair judge. That's what you hope. You don't hope that people don't judge things. You hope that they do it well, that they take their job seriously. So if Jesus isn't saying, don't judge, what is he saying? Right? He's not just talking to hear his teeth rattle, like my mom would say. You think I'm talking just to hear my teeth rattle? It's like, no, nobody wants to hear your teeth rattle, mom. So what is Jesus saying then? Well, let's let him speak for himself. Luckily for us, he didn't just say judge not and then beam up. And so he's like, you got it? Don't judge. We good? I'm going to go back home. <laughs> People. So he keeps talking. Let's read verse 1 and then let's see what he says about it. Judge not that you be not judged. Verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Judgment, like discrimination, is inescapable. It's going to happen. Not if, but what kind. Look what Jesus says. You will be judged. You will be. You will be measured. You will be judged. You will be measured. It is inescapable. It is going to happen. How will you be judged? How? By the kind of judgment you used, the kind of judgment you pronounced, the kind of measures you used, which will either have been done rightly or wrongly, fairly or unfairly, honestly or dishonestly. The way that you judged is the way that you will be judged. Jesus just assumes you are doing it already. And that what you will receive at the end of it will be in kind to what you've done. So you want a fair hearing? Do you give fair hearings to other people? You want all the facts taken into account before you're judged? Well, do you give, do you give account to all the facts of other people when they make a case to you? Refusing to judge is the same as judging all things equal. You can't just opt out of this. If you just refuse to judge, you're saying all things are the same. I refuse to make any distinctions whatsoever. But that's unfair. You're a bad judge when you do that. Because there are clearly differences in things. And for you just to ignore them is a bad judgment. <laughs> you're a bad judge if you sit up there and say, well, I don't care if you killed her or not. It, doesn't, it makes no difference to me. It's the same thing. I judge all things equally. By not, I just refuse to engage. Refusing to judge also pronounces all judging guilty. <laughs> I don't judge things because that would be wrong. Says who? You? Are you judging people for judging things? That sounds weird. We're back to where we started. That doesn't end anywhere. Where do you get your standard from? Where do you get the idea that people shouldn't judge? Who told you that? Who made you God to uphold it? So Jesus zeroes in now on what kind of judgment he is talking about. What kind of measurements should be used. Look at verses 3 and 4. Why? Do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How do you even see a speck with a log in your eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? Like, first of all, how is it even possible for you to see anything? You have a log in your eye, let alone some small thing in somebody else's. Why do you make such a big deal out of such a small thing when you see it in other people? And such a small deal about things that you see in your life that are a big deal. How do you even do this? How is this possible? This sin of dishonest scales is something that is prevalent throughout all Scripture. I have a slide up here. Just First of all, I just wanted to show you what kind of buckshot. Like, this is all over the place. The sin of dishonest scales, of using judgments and measures which are, which are out of proportion, and God hates it. And you can see up there all the examples of it. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Proverbs, Ezekiel, Hosea, Amos, Micah. This spans... Centuries. He's speaking it over and over to different people at different times. This 
idea of using dishonest scales. So let's zero in on one of these just to show you an idea of what it looks at. Leviticus 19, 35 to 36. You shall do no wrong in judgment. So not that it's wrong to judge, but when you judge, don't do it wrong. You shall do no wrong in judgment in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah and a just hin, which are like ounces, gallons. I am the Lord your God. I am the standard. I am the standard. I am God. I set the rules. You cannot have different weights for different things when it benefits you or hurts you. Sins can't be worse when other people do them if, if they're less when you do the same thing. You cannot have unjust balances. The way that this worked out practically back then was when people would go to market and they're trying to sell things naturally. If you're trying to sell it, then it weighs more. It's worth more. If you're trying to buy it, it's worth less. So you have trumped up scales that you use in order to make things cheaper when you're trying to buy them and more expensive when you're trying to sell them. That's just a practical application of this works out. But this expands far beyond just buying and selling of things. This is how we interact with the currency of people, how we hold people guilty, how we hold grudges, how we forgive, what we expect to be forgiven of. You can't have unjust balances. Your scales should not care whose speck it is. It shouldn't matter. Your scale should be just. The way that you evaluate things should be just. Specks shouldn't be heavier just because they're someone else's. And logs shouldn't be lighter just because they're yours. Your scales have to be honest and representative. Let me ask you a question. Which weighs more, a pound of feathers or a pound of bricks? Which one weighs more? They're the same, right? They both weigh a pound. But they seem like they should weigh different things, right? You seem like, well, feathers are typically light. Feathers are light things. They're even euphemistically used to talk about light as a feather. <laughs> That's how light it is. It's so light, it's a feather. Or it's heavy as a brick. We use them synonymously with heavy and light things, but when there's a pound of each, they weigh the same. But sometimes things seem different, and we apply standards because of how it affects us. Let me tell you an example of how I come in contact with this. I used to be, I'm still in insurance, but I used to be in claims. I was a claims adjuster, which is awesome, by the way. I highly recommend it, because you get to talk to people on their best days. They're only calling you because something went well. You guys know anything about claims? You heard <laughs> It's not like that at all. It's, they're always calling you because something went horribly wrong. They hit a deer, a deer hit them, their neighbor you know, spray painted their car. It's always, people are calling you because something went wrong. And a lot of times these are just accidents. Now, the way that this principle comes out into play a lot of times, let's say a person, there's an accident, a standard accident, somebody gets rear-ended at a stop sign. I'm in claims, so the person calls me. The person who is sitting at the stop sign who got rear-ended calls me. How do they describe the events that happened? I was just minding my own business, sitting at the stop sign, when this guy blasted into me and destroyed my bumper. It's gone. My neck hurts. I probably won't walk for a month. He just bashed into me. OK, thank you, sir. Type, save, get the phone number for the other person, call them. How do they describe the accident? <laughs> we were waiting at the stop sign. I thought it was his turn to go. So I started to ease up to take my spot at the stop sign, and I tapped, I tapped him. I tapped him. You could buff it out. You could, I barely ding. It's a ding. Barely. even like, Right? Unjust scales. You describe it the way that benefits you best. So my job was to figure out what happened, because it clearly can't be both. Right? So I'm put in the position to judge now. 
And neither one of them can be correct. <laughs> or like one person is either totally lying or there's some kind of mixture or something, but I'm trying to unfold. So I get pictures, of course, and get pictures of the car back. And like, you just, we have different words for destroyed, apparently. Or we have different words for tap sometimes. The guy, our, my guy would be like, oh, I tapped him. And I get a picture and there's nothing left of the car. Like, what would have happened if you blasted him? <laughs> I, don't know what, I don't understand your definition of tap here, man. And they'd be like, uh, yeah, it claims is fine. So anyways, people describe things in a way that helps them in their advantages to them. That's, that's using unjust scales. God hates it. Don't do that. You cannot apply a standard that you are unwilling to submit to. You can't have rules for other people that you yourself do not follow. If it's a rule, if it's a standard like God said, I love the way that God, at the end of that, it's like, you shall have just balances, weights, measures. I am the Lord. Standards have to be rooted in something. And if it's a real standard, then you are obligated to keep it just as much as your neighbor is. So you can't only whip it out when it benefits you because your neighbor is breaking it. And then hide behind something else when you are being accused of being like, wow, I mean, it's different in my case. It's always different in your case, Right? You ever tried to give advice? or do, It's always different in whoever's case you're talking to. Well, it's different in my case. You don't understand all the situation. We cannot judge others by their words and actions and then judge ourselves by our intentions and our motives. He said it's good, so I'm going to say it again. You cannot judge others by their words and actions and then judge yourself by your intentions and motives. It is unfair. It's a double standard. You cannot, when you are accused of something, rush and say, but you don't understand all the circumstances. You don't understand why I did it. I see why it looks like that, but you don't understand why it's not what it looks like. And then lamb blast somebody else because, well, it looks like what it is. There could be no other explanation. What's there to talk about? You can't judge others by their words and actions and just take it without anything, and then judge yourself with all your intentions and your motives. It has to be the same. You have to be internally and externally consistent. This guitar needs to be internally consistent. The strings need to be respective to each other in order for an E chord to hold. Well, it's Christian music, so a G chord. <laughs> Some of you who are musicians know why that's funny. These chords, these, the strings need to be in concert with each other at, at respective lengths. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. They have to be in internal unity. Some of you are all out of sorts internally. You have standards for some things that you don't for others, and you're all over the place. You are a mess. If somebody tried to put a standard G tuning on you, it would be like, it would be discord. So we have to be internally consistent about our standards. But even so, this, this guitar could be consistent and not tuned to any standard tuning whatsoever. It might not be tuned to G because G is an actual thing. G is a fixed location. It's, it's an actual note that occupies a space in the oral realm of what, of what actually constitutes a G chord. So it needs to be internally consistent and externally. Some of you are pretty consistent. You're, you're not a hypocrite. You don't judge people the way that you wouldn't be judged. But you don't have a stand. That's not attached to God at all. It just floats. You're internally consistent but not connected to any objective outside reality. We need to be internally externally consistent, which is why God follows up. You need to have just balances, just weights, just hands. I am the Lord your God. You need to be internally consistent with what I have said is actually consistent. So it's not that specs don't matter. It's just how much do they matter? How much should it matter about your neighbor's spec when you have a log in your eye? Not too much. You have bigger issues right now. How are you not more worried about the log in your eye? How do you even have time to worry about their spec? You have a log in your eye. 
How did that even happen? I can't remember the last time I saw a log, let alone how could you fit one in your head? Jesus, we typically apply these verses and say, like, well, what Jesus is saying is we should mind our own business and not bother people. But that would just leave everybody a little bit blind. As though Jesus' goal for the world is that we all just have little specks and we just leave each other alone. But Jesus' application is actually he wants everyone to see clearly at the end of it. He wants everyone to be able to see clearly without obstruction. Look at verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What's his goal? You no longer have a log. They no longer have a speck. We all see much better. That's the goal. We act as though Jesus' goal for the world is that being a little bit blind would be a good outcome. But the goal is that we would all see clearly. And notice what he says, take the speck out of your brother's eye. Somebody that you know, somebody you have a relationship with, somebody who has a connection to you, not rando people on the street. Jesus isn't saying, what people on the street who don't know you need is for you to judge them out of nowhere. People you don't know on Facebook, what they really need from you is to light them up with strange messages, just torching them online, even though you've never spoken to them in real life. Your brother is the key demographic here. The brother is the person that he's zeroing in on. Look at verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This isn't just for everybody. Jesus is using euphemistically dogs and pigs as unbelievers, which is an unkind... <laughs> Can we admit that that's kind of an, uh, that sounds like a hunk? I wouldn't want to be called either of those things. <laughs> and I, I assume if you did, you would mean it negatively <laughs> if you called me a dog or a pig. So people who rush to uh, Matthew 7, verse 1 as their defense on how to get away with everything in the world might want to keep reading because the Jesus that they want to hide behind just called them a dog and a pig. Christians are not called just to judge everybody. It's, it's your brother who you're supposed to be concerning with. Not If you give the gospel to somebody who doesn't love Jesus... It's just throwing pearls before a pig. They don't care. Law to the proud, grace to the humble. That's the rule for evangelizing. Law to the proud, grace to the humble. If somebody's proud, the law breaks them down. When confronted with the law, they realize they have no other hope. And then at that point, give them gospel. But don't give gospel to proud people. They will trample it underfoot. They don't care. They don't want it. They weren't asking for your opinion. They don't need it. Now, Jesus moves on to give us some more examples of making judgments. Let me first uh, move past the slide I had. 1 Corinthians 5.12, let me show you where Paul says this explicitly. Jesus says it implicitly here. Paul says it explicitly. 1 Corinthians 5.12, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Like, people walking around the street who don't claim any allegiance to Jesus don't care if they're not tithing. (laughs) They didn't say they were going to. They're like, why have you been baptized here? It's like, because I'm not a Christian. You're like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> but you can't like blitz them for this stuff. Like they, they have nothing to do with it. Whereas if you're talking to a brother, and you're like, why haven't you been baptized here? Like, I don't know. I just feel like now we're having a good conversation. It's like, we should talk about that because Jesus said you should be baptized in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit and follow after him. Why haven't you done what Jesus clearly said to do? That's a good conversation to have. That's the right person to have the conversation with. And that's the right conversation to have. So Jesus moves on now to give us more examples of what making judgments looks like. And it comes at a different angle. Look at 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. He's continuing the conversation. It sounds like he's changed gears, but he's talking about the same thing of judgments. Because asking, seeking, and knocking are all forms of judgment. 
To ask is to have made a judgment about what's good and where to get it. To seek is to have made a judgment about what's worth finding and where to find it. To knock is to have made a judgment about where to go and how to get there. These things are judgment calls, but this is almost a photo negative of judge, what we start off with. When we hear the word judge, we think judging is bad. Don't do that. Here we think asking is good. What could be wrong with asking? What could be wrong with seeking? What could be wrong with knocking? Isn't that good? Don't we want people to do that? Well, the principle here is doing things rightly, not just doing them at all. The, the, the principle here is that verbs don't carry anything in them until you have the adverb. <laughs> judging, I don't know anything about judging. I can't say anything about it until I know if you're doing it fairly or unfairly. Seeking, same thing. I don't know if it's good or bad. It depends. What are you seeking? Are you doing it well? Are you doing it rightly, fairly, honestly? Are you seeking good things? The principle is one of doing things rightly. Look at verses 9 and 10. Which one of you, if he, he expands on this idea, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? So he gives examples of right requests. A son asking his dad, that's the right person to ask if you're a son, and he asks him for bread for food or fish for food. Those make sense. Dad, can I have bread for dinner? Yeah, that sounds good. I'm your dad, and bread's something that you should eat. <laughs> it's fine. But suppose the son had said, Dad, can I eat sand? Well, according to this, like, right, if asking is good, it's like, well, Jesus said so. I don't know. <laughs> Ask and you shall receive. <laughs> Shove that sand down your mouth. Hope you like it. <laughs> Should you serve him sand for lunch? Jesus said so. Or suppose your kid's seeking a poisonous serpent for a pet. Trouncing around, like, Dad, I found the serpent. I want to catch it. Should you help him? Well, he's seeking. I don't know. Jesus said seek. So, I mean, I should help him out, right? I'm his dad. Those who ask rightly receive what they ask for. Those who ask wrongly receive something else. When you ask, you either have asked rightly and you get what you should have, or you ask wrongly and you get something else or nothing at all. James 4 verse 3 says it this way. You ask and you do not receive. So James is acknowledging there's a scenario that exists where you ask and don't get what you want. You ask and you don't receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. The reason why you didn't get it is because you asked for the wrong thing. You think it's good for you, but it's not. Or you asked in a wrong way. You demanded it from me when you should have been asking. Remember the rule. If you have to ask, they can say no. If you have to ask, they can say no. Your ask may be your judgment about what's good for you. When I ask for something, I assume I know what's good for me, and I assume that you should give it to me, or at least have it and, and could give it to me if you wanted to. When anybody asks you a question, you now have to make a judgment about what they have asked. Is what they want actually good? Would it be good for them to have it? Do I actually have the ability to give them what they ask for? Asking requires judgment. And generally speaking, we say yes to things that we've judged to be good, right? My kids ask me for good things. I'm like, I think that's good. I think it's good that you asked. Here you go. We like giving good things to things that we think are good. What could be the problem there? If I have it and you asked rightly, yeah, sure. We like giving good things. Look at verse 11. If you then, who are evil, Todd, so I like giving good things to my kids when they ask good things. If I have an evil person, a sinner, know how to give good gifts to your children, if I know how to do that, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If I, being a wicked dad who sin and don't always judge rightly, who make mistakes, know how to give good things to good requests, 
How much more so a God in heaven who understands everything perfectly? He's a better judge of what's right and wrong. He's a better judge of what's good for me. And he has access to better things to give me. If I, being a fallen dad, can give ice cream to my kids, how much more does our Heavenly Father desire to give good things to us? How much more? He's better at judging. He has better things to give. Jesus' point is that God is good and gives good things to those who ask him. And he wants you to know what to ask for and how to ask for it. He wants you to know these things. And so he comes full circle. In verse 12, he ends where he began with this idea of right judgment. Look at verse 12, commonly referred to as the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The golden rule requires judgment. You have, to, you have to have made a judgment about what you wish other people would do to you or for you. And then you have to make the judgment of, am I doing that for other people? Am I, how can I demand that from others if I'm not willing to do it myself? It requires judgment to even apply the golden rule. And, look, and then he grounds it in a standard outside of just whatever you happen to wish for yourself or whatever you happen to wish others would do. Because you could still be consistent and be totally wrong about what you think people should do to you. You'd be like, well, I'm willing to do it for them or to them. You're like, whoa, <laughs> you shouldn't be doing those things to them and they shouldn't be doing those things to you. I don't know where you're getting that standard from. Look what he says. For this is the law and the prophets. This comes from somewhere. It's not just made out of, of your own head. The law and the prophets is shorthand of just saying the entirety of the Old Testament has spoken to what God says. That's why we love the law. The law tells us what God likes. It tells us what's good tells us what we should be doing, what we ought to do. We love the law. It can't save us, but we love it because it tells us who God is and what's good for us. So what should you do if you've been judging wrongly? You're like, okay, I've heard all this stuff, and I have some feelings that I haven't been doing this right. I've been having double standards. I've applied things to my spouse that I haven't been willing to apply to myself. I've applied things to my stepdad that I haven't applied to myself, to my neighbor, to my boss. I feel judged, okay? All this talk about judgment and doing it rightly has left me feeling guilty. Thanks, Todd. Happy Sunday to you, too. <laughs> what if you're feeling guilty after all this talk of judgment? Look at Acts 17, 30 through 31. This is the last thing we'll look at. Acts 17, 30 through 31. God commands all people everywhere to repent. What should you do? Repent. Confess your sins. Say, I have not judged rightly. I agree with you, God. I, I agree with your judgment of my judgment. It hasn't been up to par. It hasn't been fair. It hasn't been equitable. I've been holding people to things I haven't been willing to hold myself to. I've been doing it wrongly. I confess. God commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. God will judge the world and everyone in it. He will do this. It will happen. It is inescapable. And he will do it by a standard of righteousness. Nothing will go unaccounted for. When you worry, when you're like, oh, if people only knew all the facts, they would see it differently. God knows all the facts. And before you rush to hide behind those, he knows all the facts, all the thoughts, all the intentions, all the things that you would try to hide behind, he knows all of those. Even the ones you wish weren't revealed, he knows. So when he makes his judgment, it will be righteous. It will account for everything. Every careless word that was uttered will be accounted for. Every thought, every passion that you didn't act on, not because you're holy, but because you're a coward. All the sins you didn't do because you're scared 
or you feel incompetent, but you would do them if you knew how. He knows, and he will judge it rightly. How will he do this? By a man whom he has appointed. A man will come and judge, not just any man. Who's this man? And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him, this man, from the dead. Jesus Christ will be the judge of the living and the dead. The one who lived perfectly will be your judge. The one who died sacrificially will be your judge. The one who knows just how many of your sins he was dying for when he did it will be your judge. Jesus Christ, the one who lived perfectly, died sacrificially, rose triumphantly and ascended gloriously, will be our judge. And he will not miss a single fact. And he did not miss a single sin when he died on the cross for you. Why does Paul bring this up in Acts 17? He says, he has given assurance. Know for a fact, Jesus will judge you. Jesus is the one. There's no other person. The one who will do it is Jesus. Know for a fact, assurance. But also, he's given us assurance. The one who is going to judge us was nailed to a cross and looked down on the people who judged him guilty and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The one who was judged guilty by guilty people when he was innocent will be the one who judges us. Our assurance is that he will be the one who we will stand before. And he says, Father, all who are in me, not guilty. I know it's all paid for because I remember and I counted for all of it. Every single one of those sins, every thought, every misplaced word, every double standard will be paid for by me. And those who put their faith and hope in me will be judged not guilty. The hope of the world is that Jesus is our judge. The hope of the world is that he will pronounce us not guilty because of what he alone has done. As the band comes up here, we prepare to respond to the message by taking communion. There are cups under your seats. And the first layer that you break off when the band starts playing has the bread. And the bread is Jesus' body, which was broken for us. His innocent, pure, undefiled body was broken for our brokenness. And underneath that layer is the contents of the cup, is the juice that represents the blood that was spilled for our sins. His innocent, pure blood, without spot or blemish, was poured out for those who've been making wrong judgments. His very act of being crucified was, that, was the ultimate of our wrong judgments. We declared the perfect man guilty and killed him. We declared ourselves innocent and him guilty. And there could be nothing further from the truth than what happened on that day. And yet, the one who is being judged wrongly dies for that wrong judgment. He dies for your wrong judgments. He died for all the double standards that you have held, that you maybe hold even now. And Paul says, God has commanded everyone everywhere to repent before him and say, I am wrong. You are right. You are a perfect judge. And if you judge me according to my sins, I would perish and die. I tremble before you, God. But I also trust you at your word that you have said that if I put my faith in this Jesus, you will save me and forgive me for my sins. All my wrong judgments will be forgiven. And you will send your spirit to help me make better judgments, to repent, to learn how to judge rightly according to your word, according to your standards. And the first and foremost of God's standards is Jesus Christ.
He is the standard by which we measure ourselves. We fall short of his perfection and he saves us by his sacrifice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your son, for being a fair judge who looks down at sin and hates it, just the same way we do when we see sin outside of ourselves. When I see sin somewhere else, I hate it. Please forgive us for being so quick to see it outside of ourselves and so slow to see it inside ourselves. But give us, by your grace, the same ability to hate it when we see it inside ourselves. To hate sin because it's sinful and wrong. And to agree with you. But to also agree to you about the solution to it. That though I be a sinner, though we be sinful, we can be saved because of what Jesus has done for us. And in your right judgment, you have decided that all of our sin being placed on him is fair. The sins are paid for. It is finished. All of our sins on his shoulders, all of his righteousness on ours, in our hearts, sealing us, saving us forever. Help us to put our trust in you alone and in your blood alone. That is the only thing that can save us. Please, this morning, give us grace Eyes to see our sins so that we can repent more of it. Eyes to see your assurance so that we may embrace it more closely and worship you more fervently. In your name we pray. Amen.